The views and opinions of this program are those of the host guests and callers. There is substantial risk of loss in trading futures and options, which you should carefully consider prior to trading. Bringing you the ag information you need, this is Market Talk, produced by the American Ag Radio Network. Now, here's your host, Jesse Allen. Well, overall, we saw a pretty interesting week of trade for the first trading week of 2024. We're going to recap it here today and talk about what lies ahead on Market Talk. Thanks for joining us on the program. I'm your host, Jesse Allen. Looking forward to a great show here today. We saw cords, soybeans, and cattle turn their way a bit lower on Friday's session. Wheat tried to hang on to a little bit of green on the screen. Hogs had another good follow-through day as well. Outside markets were relatively quiet, crude up about 1% on the session. Uh, So overall, we'll call it a mixed bag on Friday. We're going to talk about the markets, though, and get some perspective and look ahead to what is in front of us. I'm talking about the January WASDE report, a very big report coming up here uh, just in about a week, uh, next Friday the 12th. And we're going to dive in and get some thoughts ahead of that report and talk more about it. Dwayne Bussey with Bolt Marketing will be joining us for a conversation coming up here in segment two and three today. So we're looking forward to that. Going to be a lot to discuss, definitely, uh, with these markets as we prepare for that ever-important January WASDE report. So looking forward to catching up with Dwayne here as we uh, wrap up the first week of trading in the new year. We'll also take a look at some uh, news headlines. We're watching winter weather activity moving into uh, parts of the country here as we go through the weekend and into the early part of this week in front of us here. Uh, We're going to talk about that. We're also going to look at some other news headlines, including the National Ag Law Center's top legal issues to watch in the new year. A lot to uh, get to, a lot of ground to cover on today's Market Talk. Thanks for joining us. Let's get a little bit of market perspective from Friday with Mark Lucas of Stone X filling in for Arlen Suderman. Mark joined us for our midday commentary and gave us some of his thoughts of what he was seeing in the trade. Relatively quiet action on the day on Friday. We start with the grain conversation with Mark Lucas from Stone X. Yeah, this morning you looked at the export sales numbers. I kind of chuckled that... uh... Well, I kind of like horse racing. I said, hey, trifecta, all three of them sucked, you know, so it was it was pretty low. Um, you know, yes, it was a holiday week, uh, but estimates coming out prior to that, um, you know, factor that in. And we still fell way short of, of those kind of numbers, both corn and beans. It was the low uh, of the crop year for the uh, export sales numbers for the week. Um, overall, though, when you take, you know, corn export sales, the current pace we're on is puts us right in line with where we should be uh, to meet the USDA numbers for the year. And on beans, we're actually just a little bit ahead of the pace, about 3% ahead of the pace to meet the USDA numbers for the crop year. And uh, wheat, uh, just slightly better than that, at about a 4% above the pace needed to, to meet the USDA numbers. So uh, kind of puts it in a little bit of perspective. One week doesn't doesn't ruin everything. So. Looking ahead to next week's crop report, I think that's probably what these markets largely are doing outside of some other news story because, you know, it's all about South American weather and this and that. There's not much driving these markets. I think we're just kind of gearing up for that crop report next Friday. 
Yeah, I think that's right. And, you know, there's a lot of moving parts in this report. It's one of the biggest uh, grain report, what we call a data dump by the USDA uh, that we have of the year, you know, with uh, wrapping up the crop year, uh, the harvest for corn and soybeans here and and that type of thing. And um, they're going to have to make some pretty dramatic changes. Uh, in the South American production numbers in this report as well. Uh, the USDA has eh, shaved off a little bit, but they have yet to really come to grips with uh, the losses in Brazil uh, on the first crop uh, where we had some dramatically drier weather. It's, you know, been improving, stabilizing, but, you know, the USDA is still probably, you know, somewhere in that 8 to 10 million metric tons high on on their uh, production number for beans in Brazil, for example. So it's going to be some, some you know, some moving numbers, some some things to look at once we get this report out next week. I know uh, watching the outside markets had a pretty strong jobs report out on Friday as well, but the <laughs> stock market's pretty quiet here today, Mark. Yeah, the non-farm payrolls that came out this morning, expectations were for somewhere of a gain of about um, 170,000 jobs. It came out to be t- about 216, so a pretty substantial gain over the top. Um, about a 4% increase in um, in wages. So, you know, this, this jobs market and wages continues to be, you know, really a pretty sticky point of the inflation. You know, I, I think the Federal Reserve probably feels pretty good about some of the things that accomplished but this jobs thing continues to uh just kind of you know the the payroll uh, values just keep on inching higher and that pushes forward into just about everything you buy so kind of interesting report and once again comments with mark lucas from stone x sitting in for arlen suderman on the day on Friday for a midday commentary. I mentioned we're watching the weather and the million dollar question in the plains is when will the region see moisture and what will the forecasted storms over the next few days and weeks bring? Producers are wondering how intense the future storms will be. Eric Snodgrass, of course, principal atmospheric scientist for Nutrient Ag Solutions, joins us each and every uh, week to discuss the weather. We got a few updated comments from him as we are watching some of these weather systems closely. He talks about what to expect. It's the best looking storm I've seen in a long time. And uh, so to see one that's this uh, deep as it goes over the mountains and then ejecting in the southern plains, We could be putting down snow from Colorado and Kansas to Nebraska and Iowa, Illinois, Indiana, Michigan. I mean, that's a big group of states that really need to see some snow and we need the moisture. So I'm excited to watch it, but it's going to change so much over the next few days. And by the time we get to next Wednesday, when it's really raging east, we'll, we'll finally know what we got out of it. But it's one of a sequence of storms. I think we've got in total maybe five systems lined up to hit the United States in the next 15 days. So it'll be a busy go of it. El Nino has peaked, reaching its plateau, and it's partly behind the change in weather. However, Stockgrass says there's more factors at play. Really, there are some things kind of moving over the top of it that are really helping out. And one of the things is it finally dislodged the, the, the really cold air in Alaska and Greenland. So when we move that out and bring warm air to those places, guess where the cold air goes? It goes here. It goes into the midsection of North America. So what we've got now is finally a recipe to have enough cold air to make the jet stream invigorate coming over the mountains and that's going to produce a couple well maybe three four five systems rolling across the country how much snow do we end up getting this is i mean i'll be honest the night before is when i might have a clue because we'll finally see the track of the low but the potential exists for this one to be a you know a four to twelve incher somewhere snodgrass adds the moisture is needed 
Yeah, one of the things I looked at was I made a map starting in January of 2000 up until the end of 2023. So that's four years of data. I've got parts of Iowa and parts of Nebraska and parts of Missouri and even parts of Kansas that are between 20 and 40 inches in deficit over the four-year stretch. But you think about that. If you got a spot in Iowa that's 40 inches in deficit, that is, that's a whole year plus worth of rain they've missed out in the last four. And once again, comments with Eric Snodgrass from Nutrient Ag Solutions. The systems uh, over the next few weeks and months will definitely help, but Snodgrass says recovering the moisture loss is going to take multiple seasons. We'll get another update from uh, Mr. Snodgrass coming up here early next week. Of course, watching uh, the weather closely and some hefty snowfall totals being forecast for parts of the Midwest. We're going to keep our eyes on that over the next few days as well. And you should definitely uh, keep your eyes on your local weather forecast to see how things are shaping up. All right, on the way next, we're going to dive into the week of market trade as we got into a new calendar year. What are we watching ahead of the January Wasdy Report? Dwayne Bussey with Bolt Marketing joins us next here on Market Talk. Make sure to subscribe to the Market Talk YouTube channel. You can watch our latest interviews with top market analysts in the country, find bonus content, and much more. It's easy. Just go to youtube.com slash at Market Talk Egg and hit the subscribe button. Or you can search for Market Talk Egg on YouTube. Bringing you the ag information you need. This is Market Talk. Now, back to Jesse Allen. Well, as we wrapped up the first week of trading on Friday for 2024, not a great day. Corded soybeans, wheat, hogs found a little bit of green. Cattle turned lower, though, too. Uh, so uh, not a great showing to round out Friday's session. But we got plenty in front of us, including a, a pretty big WASDI report here next week from USDA. We're going to talk about that and just get some perspective on how the markets wrapped up the first week of trading in 2024. Joining us for a conversation, Dwayne Bussey with Bolt Marketing is with us. Dwayne, happy new year to you, my friend. Thanks for joining us on the show today. How are you? Yeah, I'm doing well. Happy new year to you and the listeners out there. And uh, yeah, I wish the markets were a little better this week for us, but uh, it's what we got in front of us, I guess. Yeah, it's what we got in front of us. It's, it's just the hand we've been dealt here. You know, and part of me wonders maybe even too, so folks were still kind of on a vacation, so to speak, here, even with the new year starting, because these markets, I mean, outside of uh, a few different things, uh, been fairly quiet this week. I know Tuesday was kind of our, our busy day with that first trading day of the new yeah. year, but really, grains and livestock have been kind of range-bound-ish here this week to some degree. Yeah, and I think a little bit of that is the time of year too, right? It's not like we're watching the U.S. weather that much. Now, there is a storm coming that we can talk about a little bit in the cattle market segment later here. But yeah, it's just the time of year. We're just, we generally know the production side, the supply side, and demand is there. But we didn't get any daily export sales announcement this week. And the export sales report this morning was pretty poor all around. I think that led to us going lower in most of the grains other than the wheat complex today. Yeah, that's a great point. The export sales. I mean, I knew it was going to be bad with the Christmas holiday, but it, it was really bad, Dwayne. So no support there. Um, and, and you mentioned weather. Obviously, uh, not really watching U.S. weather, although there are some things there I think we could think about in terms of we need moisture in many areas. It's still pretty dry, but South America is the, the weather talking point for the most part. 
Brazil's seen some pretty decent rains here the last week or so, and largely I think that's been the biggest weight on the soy complex here this week, hasn't it? It sure is. It, the frustrating thing for me is I think I was kind of on the, the red side of the ledger last week looking at Brazil's forecast, thinking that we had to go down and, and test the support levels that we tested this week and actually eventually broke today. But last week was the holiday week, right? The trade just didn't want to do anything. And, and I understand that. So yeah, Tuesday, we come in here this week and we gap lower because it did rain. Didn't really rain that much more than was forecasted, Jesse. That's why I was a little disappointed we didn't even do it last week. But like I said, the, the real traders, I don't think we're here. Well, when they came and we gap lower and, and then the technicians kind of got a hold of the soybean market too. And when you didn't go back to try to fill that gap right away, all oh, the bears gained control and then we ran down and then breaking that 1262 support in March soybeans today just accelerated the downward pressure here. And, and now I don't have a lot of support. I'm looking over at my charts here and just going, eh, soybean look ugly. Now, the funny thing is this is happening. The markets are sliding and we're finally getting rains in northern Brazil just as all the private forecasters are coming out and actually slashing their production forecast. Um, mm -hmm. you know, Reuters was out today and they lowered their Brazil soybean forecast to 151.36 million metric ton. That's down from their 158. You know, and I, I know a lot of people started at 160. So it, it is getting lower. Uh, I think some of these rains are too late to help, but you know, it, it's still green on the radar screen, right, Jesse? And that just makes the market go down several times. Well, and I know we've seen some of the different private estimates, of course, have been cutting uh, Brazil's numbers and you know, we get into this next uh, January WASDE report. Be interested to see if USDA makes any moves. Um, but I, I largely wonder heading into this report here uh, on the soybeans specifically, I, I feel like, like you mentioned some of the chart damage. I feel like this market going to probably be under some pressure here. I, I don't anticipate any short covering in soybeans ahead of this WASDE report coming up here next week, Dwayne. Well, no, because short covering is usually to say the funds are like extremely long or extremely short and they're trying to square up some of those positions, right? Well, actually the funds right now, we're estimating, we'll find out here in the commitment of trades reports uh, in an hour, but you know, right now I think the funds are about flat. So it means to short a little bit, which they rarely go short. So that's another story there, but you know, they, they're not leaning hard one way or the other. So I think you're right. There isn't going to be this short covering rally or sell-off for the soybean market next week. You know, I think the soybeans are disappointed. We stopped seeing daily export sales announcements. We haven't seen one since December 19th. Like we talked about earlier, exports were poor this morning. You know, marketing year low. Uh, path of least resistance is lower, but let me go back to the whole funds are, are hardly ever short the market. And remember, maybe, maybe we get the next Friday here. Maybe we're going to look and see and get reminded that we're tight when it comes to soybeans. Our ending stock is tight. Mm -hmm. um, Believe it or not, there is some bullish news out there. Uh, our, our crush capacity increased, Jesse, over this last year, built a couple more plants, right? We're crushing about 4% more year over year right now. If I would plug that into my spreadsheet, increases crush demand, any stock would dip below 200 million bushels. You know, that's how cheap do we dare get? Because the cheaper we get, we're going to have China come back in and buy some soybeans from us. So everything's bearish now. But all the news is always bearish at the lows, too. And, mm -hmm. and I'm not saying we're going to come spiking out of this right away because of the chart doesn't have much support. But I guess when it comes to soybeans, Jesse, I think we could see some friendly news or at least a friendly reminder next Friday that the situation is still tight here domestically. 
That's a great point that you make uh, with the, the tightness on that domestic balance sheet. Uh, I know with uh, bean meal, bean oil too, haven't seen many deliveries against the January contracts here yet either. It just feels like this soy market is really quiet uh, <laughs> and kind of just marking time until next Friday, Dwayne. Yeah, and I'm glad you mentioned the product side of it. You know, soybean meal has is, is been trending lower. Um, with a crush increase in crush capacity comes the increase in, in, in crushing just soybeans for meal and oil, right? Well, we think we've got some good oil demand out there when it comes to the veg oil market and the biodiesel thing. But meal, you know, it's not like we have a lot more hogs out there right now to feed. So meal is actually trending the wrong way. Uh, domestically and globally, our supplies are growing. Therefore, the price needs to come down. And if soybean meal is headed down, it is really hard for raw soybeans to rally. So yeah, I just kind of very blah market right now. Um, it's depressing because it seems like the holiday season was a full month <laughs> last mm -hmm. month that we couldn't get the trade to do anything. And now you and I are talking about a, a blah time of year for trading as well going on here. But, you know, don't ever, don't they say don't sell a complacent or sleeping market? And that's kind of my thought on soybeans right now. I don't want to sell it down here, that's for sure. Well, speaking of blah, Corn is blah too, Dwayne. I mean, uh, not a whole lot of movement in this corn market either. Uh, rounded out the week a little bit weaker. But your thoughts with this corn picture heading into next week's report? Uh, what do you think? Where do things stand right now in terms of this corn market? Well, I, a general summary of my thoughts on corn is I, I don't want to sell it at the lows. Now, that being said, I was saying that last month too. And right now that would be wrong because I could have sold it last month and we're a little bit lower here, but we are still the cheapest corn in the world. I do look for exports to actually pick up a little bit. Uh, ethanol crush has been very good. I think the problem with the corn market <laughs> is when we talk about the WASDE report coming up, right? The ending stocks there are above 2 billion bushels. I, I can talk bullish and say that, you know, maybe ethanol is up a little bit, maybe some export demand increases. Well, what am I going to do? Knock it down to 2.1 billion bushel? That, that's not a bullish, oh my God, we're going to run out of corn and we need to rally. So the funds are getting very comfortable being short the market. And when the contract comes to expiration, they want to just, they're just going to roll to the next month and sell that. And guess what? There's a carry in the market. So whether they sell out one month or two months, they're either making 15 or 30 cents, they get a higher sold position than where they just got out at. Maybe what March just did, the March contract, pulled all the way down to 460 here, right? December went off the board about 453 at the close of that day. But the high of that day that December went off was 460. Maybe we just went down and filled that gap. But let me, so that looks okay chart-wise, but let me revert back to what I was saying. These funds can make money by just staying short corn if our ending stocks are this big. They're just gonna go out to the next contract month, let that come down to where this month expired off and just continue to roll and make money. So that'll work until it doesn't. Another famous you know, line that I <laughs> rant about here. Um, we need a scare, something has to happen. Probably doesn't happen until we get to the growing season here. So if you're holding a lot of old crop corn, which a lot of farmers are, I don't have that bullish story that sparks it. And I think there's a lot of guys that are talking the same way I am. Therefore, I think there was a lot of farmers selling here, Jesse, this week of like just kind of a give up sale. Just let it go then. Um, no one's talking bullish. I think that pressured our markets as well.
Well, I think you're right. I think that is something that might have pressured our markets here this week. I want you to hold that thought, Dwayne. We're going to pick that conversation up here. Coming up after the break as uh, we're almost here to the end of the segment, to the bottom of the hour, we're going to talk more about the corn market. I want to get your thoughts. Uh, wheat had a good end of the week on Friday. Want to talk livestock, cattle, and hogs as well. Could this winter storm possibly impact some things as it moves in through the weekend and into uh, this week ahead? We're going to talk about all that and more as we continue our conversation with Dwayne Bussey from Bolt Marketing here on Market Talk. We'll be back with more here with Dwayne on the way right after the break. Stick around. Back with more after this. Make sure to subscribe to the Market Talk YouTube channel. You can watch our latest interviews with top market analysts in the country, find bonus content, and much more. It's easy. Just go to youtube.com slash at Market Talk Egg and hit the subscribe button. Or you can search for Market Talk Egg on YouTube. The views and opinions of this program are those of the host, guests, and callers. There is substantial risk of loss in trading futures and options, which you should carefully consider prior to trading. Market information that matters to you on Market Talk. Now, back to Jesse Allen. We are joined today by Dwayne Bussey from Bolt Marketing. And Dwayne, let's talk a little more on this corn market. As you know, you brought up a, a great point, maybe kind of a, some give up sales and some farmers selling here this past week. Yeah. If I'm someone, though, that, that I had to move some corn here, I, I, for cash flow purposes, whatever the reason is, I'm booking inputs for 24. Um, is there anything you would say that they could maybe do as far to give themselves a little bit of upside on that? Or we just make it straight cash sales here? I know everything's a little bit different, but I mean, what would you say yeah. if somebody's forced to move some corn here, but still wants some options? Okay. Yeah. It, let's just say you got to sell some corn just to, just for cash. Um, there's a lot of that going on now, right? I mean, you don't want a big line of credit right now with a higher interest rate. So I understand that if you've got to move it, but you're not happy with the price. Well, that's literally what us brokers are here for. Uh, you know, one way to do it is, and maybe the best way right now is with call options. Options are fairly cheap right now because of what you mentioned when we first talked corn, the blah factor. We're, we're just mm -hmm. not moving. And when we're not moving, the volatility decreases and options get cheaper. So you can buy a call option sell the grain that puts a floor in the price, but you still have that upside, you know, because the call option gives you the right, but not the obligation to buy a futures contract at a certain price. So if it rallies, then you want that right. If it doesn't, you know, you're out your 10 cents, say you spent on a call option. That's probably a good way for the guys that don't need the cash and are calling in. I'm not recommending to sell here. And I, I know if I would have said sell two or three weeks ago, that would have been the right move, but just hate, selling at the lows when everyone's so bearish the corn market. But if you ask me to come up with a bullish story of why corn has to rally, it's going to be a short interview because I don't have anything <laughs> right now. So it sounds a little silly, I just, but I just don't like selling at lows. The mistake wasn't to sell last week if you didn't sell corn this summer. I mean, that, that was the mistake this summer. But I know we always got to be looking forward, of course, don't we? Yeah, we always got to be looking forward. And speaking of that, uh, looking ahead to 24, uh, uh, making any moves corn bean wise uh, on 24 new crop here ahead of the WASD report potentially, or are we waiting to see what the WASD has to tell us first? I, I'm not big on If you didn't sell some last summer, I, I'm not big on selling it here. Um, and just because of the seasonalities behind it, Jesse, you know, right now, you know, I play with a spreadsheet and we plant this many acres and guess what? Everything's kind of perfect. Um, 
prevent plant acres aren't aren't any worse than average. Maybe they're even lower. You know, uh, two million acres out of winter wheat. We add that in, and everyone's ending stock right now for the twenty four crop is bearish basically because this is a perfect situation. Now, I'm actually a bear for twenty four, believe it or not, longer term. The reason I don't like selling a bunch right here, Jesse, is the seasonality that usually happens. You, something happens, um, a weather scare, China starts buying and stockpiling, you know, even corn from us. Something can happen. And if China would do that, just that simple thing, the funds that are short might go, oh, geez, I don't want to be short at these levels, even though there is a carry in the market. And Dwayne talked about bearish ending stocks. They get out of those positions. We rally. But let me summarize by saying those rallies are meant to be sold in 2024 because of those big ending stocks and our projections for those perfect year moving forward. But not not now, Jesse. All right. All right. How about wheat? Uh, let's round out the grain talk here. Wheat had a decent day on Friday, really a decent week overall. I know uh, yep. you brought up that uh, winter storm earlier in the show. Uh, <laughs> we're seeing some winter wheat country is going to get some decent moisture out of this. Uh, that's got to help out uh, with with some of that winter wheat crop that's generally looking pretty good. Uh, what's your thoughts yep. in this wheat trade overall? What are some things we need to keep an eye on? Yeah, you know, going into the week, it was kind of a bearish outlook for wheat because of what you mentioned. We actually had rains recently and the crop conditions, you know, about once a month, we come up with some crop conditions per state and they all improve. The winter wheat crops looking pretty good, isn't it? We reversed maybe yesterday uh, on news that China might be out there buying some more Chicago wheat and which is a fairly good staple when the market rallies. <laughs> That's going to be the rumor we're going to hear. Um, but it's usually often true. You know, with the U.S. dollar dipping back to where it did, I, I think China probably did step in and buy some wheat. So hopefully we see some flash sales on Monday. Um, do I think we can just up and take off here, though? Sadly, no, because of what you mentioned, we got rain in the forecast next week. Now, there are some bitter cold temps that come afterwards. So maybe there'll be some talk of some winter kill here and there. But, Jesse, we get that talk every year and, uh, you know, might rally the market here and there. But when the winter wheat's in good condition, I'm usually not worried about winter kill either. So... Yeah, it was the bright spot today, but here, look at me talking down the one bright spot we had in grains. Uh, I just can't get that bull of about wheat here. Well, that same uh, winter storm is uh, getting set to impact a lot of cattle country, a lot of feedlot country, too. Let's move over to livestock. Uh, cattle really largely had a pretty good week, especially Tuesday. We kicked it off with some good strength. I know cattle were down a little bit on Friday, and some of this cash activity is taking a while to develop here this week, but um this winter storm i gotta think it's gonna ha have some sort of impact here on this cattle market as we move into next week what do you think Dwayne? i do too i was really disappointed in the trade action on friday um but if you watch it during the day at one point feeders were up two bucks and it felt like we were going to add in some winter weather premium into the cattle market and then it gave it all back and and then some and kind of a chart wise not a good way to close the week with some key reversals and some individual contracts but you're right. Overall, it wasn't a bad week for cattle. Um, and the fundamental sides, I mean, I, I'm hearing some cash as high as 175 now here as we're getting towards the end of the week. And that puts February at a pretty big discount to cash. And remember, February is usually at a premium. So I, I like the cattle market here. Um, you know, sometimes, you know, daily trade, you know, the fact that it went down on Friday doesn't mean that's a new trend. It's just you know, somebody big was out there. Maybe it's Packers selling the board, trying to get a little bit lower cash. I mean, I don't blame them. And on the feeder side, Jesse, I mean, the one-day index on Thursday was like, what, 233 or something. Well, I think so, that yeah. puts 
January, 10 bucks under that. So the cash market looks good. The one thing fundamentally that I would say is really bearish the cattle market is these weights. Good Lord. Um, mm -hmm. We bring them in as cattle, but we're taking them off as elephants. They're, they're, they're big. Um, and that gives packers control and surprise, surprise, more choice cutouts then, and then choice cutouts are lower this week. But uh, if the storm gets nasty in the bitter cold afterwards, maybe that trims into the weights. I'm sure kind of hoping it does so we can get current again. That's a good point you brought up as well with those weights and the, and the fact, yeah, choice cuts have lost pretty decent amount here this week. I don't have the exact number in front of me, Dwayne, but it's uh, it's been quite interesting. And I think, yeah, some of those packers have been a little bit slower to procure cattle this week because, yeah. you know, they, they with the fatter animals they don't necessarily need it at least that's what they're saying and might just be a a ploy you know to try and work the market a little bit but still i mean that's a great point you bring up here it's going to be interesting to see if we can get this market current again here in short order or not mm. yeah i remember we back up to a couple of interviews you and i had in december i mean we talked about the packers were buying cattle but not picking them up right away i mean yeah. they needed the choice cattle and and they're also really smart about, you know, if we if we can make them go on feed for a while, we'll have more production. Maybe we're just filling a hole here. I mean, the general numbers for North America overall are still tight. And I think feeders, you're going to see that in the upcoming cash sales. And I, I think we'll rebound out of this. And I don't know, we'll sit back and see what the weather storm is this weekend and what it's looking like next week. But yeah, that bitter cold is going to put a little dent in it too. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. Hogs, uh, hey, two days in a row, hogs in the green to round out the week. Uh, that's at least a, a nice sign, I would say, for our, our hog producer folks, uh, because this market's just been dismal trying to find some sort of support here, Dwayne. It, it has been dismal, hasn't it? And I, I guess I really don't have a lot of good excuses of why it had to rally these last two days. And it's not like the export demand was great this morning either. You know, China's economy is still a bit of a struggle. Um, our economy numbers this morning were fairly good. Maybe that's why we've rallied. But you know, I guess for those hog producers we're talking to out there, you know, maybe this is something to reward. If I don't have good excuses of why we're higher and we need to start this new upward trend, well, maybe this is a selling opportunity. You have a nice carry in the market and production is still pretty high here in the U.S. and weights are high in the U.S. as well. So maybe consider that. Definitely. And uh, good stuff as always. Before we let you go, final thoughts, anything you want to reiterate for folks here as they're uh, thinking about things uh, working through the month of January? You know, it's it's depressing right now. I get that. Um, you know, maybe go back to the spreadsheets. And I think I say that quite often <laughs> in the, our last segments. But I always like going back to spreadsheet. Are you making money or not? And that's really what this matters, right? And uh, one day doesn't make a trend. Uh, January report will be huge. You know, maybe we can get some bullish news. Maybe we lose some acres, something like that. I think the yields are there. But uh, let's get to the January report. And if we have to make some adjustments and get bearish, we will after that. Dwayne, if folks want to reach out to you with questions and get some advice there at Bolt Marketing, how can they reach you? Yeah, they can call us here directly, 605-448-2365. And they can check us out online at boltmarketingllc.com. Dwayne Bussey with Bolt Marketing. Always good to chat with you, my friend. Have a great one, and we will talk to you again soon. Sounds good. Thanks, Jesse. Great stuff as always. Dwayne Bussey there with Bolt Marketing. Again, learn more. BoltMarketingLLC.com. Let's take a look at some of the closing numbers from Friday's session. March corn down five and three quarters, 460 and three quarters. July corn down five. 
483 and three quarters. Soybeans, January 12 and a quarter lower, 1249 and three quarters. March was down 11 and a quarter, 1256 and a quarter. January soybean meal down 1260 a ton, 368.60. January bean oil down 71 points, 4717. March Chicago wheat two and a half higher, 616. July up three, 635. March Kansas City wheat up two and a quarter at 628. July Kansas City wheat that was up three and a quarter, 635 and a quarter. March spring wheat up three quarters, 712. July down a half a penny, 728 and a half. March oats down 12, 353. Canola 12 to 13 lower on the session Friday. Over in livestock, live cattle for February down 55, 170.57. April down 90, 173.40. Feeder cattle January 155 lower, 223.12. March down 150, 224.15. And in hogs, February 95 higher, $70 even. April hogs, 142 higher on Friday, 76.37. All right, coming up next, we're going to take a look at news headlines, including some of the top ag law issues ahead of us in 2024. Back with more here on Market Talk right after this. Make sure to subscribe to the Market Talk YouTube channel. You can watch our latest interviews with top market analysts in the country, find bonus content, and much more. It's easy. Just go to youtube.com slash at Market Talk Egg and hit the subscribe button. Or you can search for Market Talk Egg on YouTube. Keeping you informed with the latest market information for your operation. This is Market Talk. Now, back to Jesse Allen. And welcome back to Market Talk. Thanks for sticking with us here today. Appreciate Dwayne Bussey with Bolt Marketing joining us on the program, giving us his perspective on what's happening in these markets. And uh, no doubt, going to be a big week ahead with that January World Agricultural Supply and Demand Estimates report coming out on Friday. A lot of data. It's a data dump from USDA. Always is. Very uh, high-profile report to kick off the year. Going to be interesting to see what we end up getting and how the markets trade throughout the week ahead. Probably going to be a lot of positioning and uh, maybe even some short-covering potential ahead of that report. We'll just have to see. Well, the National Agricultural Law Center, based in Fayetteville, Arkansas, called 2023 a year for significant developments and changes on the legal front. Harrison Pittman, director of the Ag Law Center, says there are a lot of issues they'll be keeping a close eye on in 2024. I think the Endangered Species Act, and particularly its relationship to pesticide registration and re-registration and how that looks going forward, I think that's one that we're going to spend a tremendous amount of time on in 2024. It was a big deal in 2023, but that is a major shift in that part of the ag industry, and I think it's one that's going to continue in a big way in 2024. I would keep a close eye on the litigation side with respect to pesticides. There's still quite a few cases going on. They're not all being decided the same way, but there have been a few over the last couple of years, and at least one recently, where the verdict has been very financially significant, at least before appeals take place. The waters of the U.S. or WOTUS rule will still be something to watch in the new year. I would keep a good eye on that one. That whole issue is important, but the traditional part of it, like the EPA and Corps of Engineers jurisdiction of what is the waters of the United States, that will remain important. The part that I would watch is what is happening in the wake of the U.S. Supreme Court decision in the Sackett case that came out in uh, spring of just last year, because I think that can trigger activity in state proposals that cut both ways. 
Well, the aftermath of the Supreme Court's decision on California's Proposition 12 will be another legal issue in 2024. Third one that would be really important to watch is the fallout in the wake of the Supreme Court's decision on Proposition 12, which is the California Animal Welfare Law, that basically opened the door up to the degree to which states might be able to regulate what would otherwise often be considered commerce that would otherwise be left to the U.S. Congress to regulate. So I think that could spawn a lot of legislative proposals, both agriculture-related and non-agriculture-related, and probably will. And since we're coming into sessions around the country now that we're getting into January, I'd expect that to pick up. Foreign land ownership will be something to watch this year as well. We're going to see several states advance bills again this year because there's been numerous federal proposals, but they really haven't had a good vehicle yet legislatively to get enacted. I would expect something at the federal level to be enacted as potentially part of the farm bill process, that could happen there, or parts of these federal proposals could find their way into an appropriations deal. Should we be able to get one, hopefully without a government shutdown. And we just got some updated news on foreign land ownership in Missouri here just this past week from their governor. So, uh, again, that's going to be another top issue to watch this year. That's comments with Harrison Pittman, director of the National Agricultural Law Center. While also expanding renewable liquid fuels such as ethanol and biodiesel and increasing trade negotiations are top priorities for CHS. CHS is one of the largest agricultural cooperatives in the country. Will Stafford is the Director of Federal Affairs with CHS. He says these are items outside the farm bill that the cooperative is pushing in the new year. Meantime, the 2023 farm bill's deadline has been extended to September of 2024. And Stafford says the extension gives the cooperative a buffer to make sure the legislation is done right. An extension and a longer term extension to give farmers and businesses some certainty uh, for the next year is is definitely a good thing. Um, And uh, I still think that we will get a five year bill done at some point. You know, no farm bill is easy, but I do think that there's the leadership in the House and Senate to get something done. And CHS will be there advocating on behalf of our owners um, until that happens. And not surprisingly, the most important part of the farm bill is when I talk to our farmer owners, they always say the most important thing is protecting crop insurance. So that's number one. We also want to make sure that there's a strong farm safety net outside of that, that commodity programs are working correctly. And then outside of that, we're very uh, keen on seeing trade promotion programs expanded, working with the Congress to make sure that um, conservation programs are working well for our farmer owners and that cooperatives can play a role in helping our farmer owners access that. We always look at the biofuel section in the energy title. As a diverse business, we we probably have our hand in 80 or 90 percent of the bill. <laughs> yeah. However, the farm bill discussion in Congress won't be without some strong debate. The last few farm bills have always been that nutrition funding. Republicans wanted to see that scaled back or extra eligibility requirements added to that um, as more of a cost saving measure. That debate will still be there. It it will always be there in a farm bill setting. This time around with the farm side of it, it's a little bit of a wrinkle. You have a lot of grower groups that are saying that the commodity programs are not operating as efficiently or the way that they're intended to and would like to see some changes in there, especially to reference prices for for the PLC program to get more farmers some payouts. That would obviously cost money. Republicans want to see some funding taken from conservation programs, extra money that was added to the farm bill last year. Democrats would like to see that stay more in the conservation title. So we're going to have to see how that debate plays out. And once again, that is Will Stafford, Director of Federal Affairs for CHS. 
Well, also, before we wrap it up here on today's program, the USDA's risk management agencies announced that $3 million is available for cooperative growth agreements to educate underserved, small-scale, and organic producers on risk management. Educational opportunities can also include climate smart practices. RMA's risk management education partnerships provide funding for organizations like nonprofits and land-grant universities to develop trading and resources for producers about risk management options like crop insurance. RMA Administrator Marsha Bunger says, quote, This funding is integral to our outreach efforts in communities that historically have not had access to training about risk management options. As a farmer, I know firsthand that agriculture is a risky business, end quote. Bunger also says they want to work directly with growers and livestock producers to provide them with training and resources about risk management options and applying them to the farming business. A broad range of risk management activities are eligible for funding consideration, including training on crop insurance options and others. So again, uh, find out more. Just contact your local USDA uh, Farm Service Agency office or go to the uh, RMA website, rma.usda.gov, for more information on that risk management training. All right, we are out of time here today on Market Talk. Thanks, as always, for joining us on the program. Hope you have a great rest of your day. I'm Jesse Allen, and we will be back with more on our next program. We'll talk with John Heinberg from Total Farm Marketing and another weather update with Eric Snodgrass from Nutrient here on Market Talk.